Ah, yes. Welcome back to MLB Morning Coffee. It is Wednesday, March 18th. 2020, we apologize for the hiatus. We had an episode recorded with Sam Levitt of the Amarillo Sod Poodles on Monday, but turns out that internet technology decided it didn't like us. And, I mean, granted, I don't think anything likes us right now, but we are grateful to have back. He is our first returning guest of From Phenom to the Farm and Big Screen Sports, my good friend and yours, Kyle Banduho. Kyle Everything sucks and life is terrible. Would you agree? Uh, probably the it's it's probably the low point in just life in general uh, in my 28 years. Um, you know, there's a couple other kind of notable notable points, but uh, yeah, life ain't great right now. No, it is not. I, I want to walk you through your own personal timeline in regards to how you saw all of the tournaments being canceled around the NCAA. Rudy Gobert and the NBA going from full functionality to suspended in the matter of hours, and Major League Baseball going from delayed to abiding by the CDC's recommendation that they can't start until basically Memorial Day. I mean, how did this whole timeline transpire for you personally? And as number one, a big baseball fan, but number two, somebody that does a podcast on prospects, like how does this kind of affect your life now i mean you're as big of a baseball junkie as i am i mean i think i think the biggest the thing that changed that changed everything was the go bear and nba suspension um that that was real i think that was the real game changer and that's when things like i think that was the first domino the first real domino because at first it was, I remember, um, you know, college had started saying that they were going to do stuff without fans there. Um, you know, I, I'm a, I, I root for TCU baseball. My fiance is a grad. And so, and, and TCU had started out the year pretty strong and, and it was okay. Well, they're, they're going to keep playing, but there's, you know, there's going to be no fans. And then MLB still, even after that, the NBA suspending stuff, MLB was still pretty stubborn with it. Uh, you know they were they were one of the last dominoes to fall. Not I mean they still hosted a couple spring training games, which was you know I I thought that was a little ill advised, but I did think that there was possibly a scenario where they might you know I was still holding out hope that hey maybe they'll just play into empty stadiums kind of like they did that that Orioles game during the riots. Um, and you know we see now in retrospect I think there's a Yankees minor leaguer that's tested positive for for COVID. Um, I'm honestly, I'm sure the number in, in professional baseball is much higher. We just don't know because they're, I mean, testing, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to go into the political aspects of this, but, um, you know, and then, and then we just saw the dominoes fall and a world without sports is, is a bummer. Um, you know, it's, I love talking about baseball. I still, I'm still trying to incorporate sports and read about sports and still do both my podcasts, but it's kind of difficult when it's just emotionally difficult knowing that the actual sports themselves, the the, the things we look forward to in the future are, are not going to be there. At least we don't know when they're going to be there. And from a super, super selfish perspective, uh, and we talked about this last time on MLB Morning Coffee. The Twins are looking great this year. And the longer a season, the the better teams separate themselves throughout a long season. A shorter season gives more variance in the playoffs. I think, um, was it the Nationals this year, this past year or the year before where they started out terribly 
and still made the playoffs. Uh, it was this past yeah, year. Yeah, yeah exactly. They, they had the best, the best or the second best record from May fifteenth on. I think they were under five hundred when it came to May fifteenth, and people were talking about them firing Davy Martinez, which would have been amazing. Because here's a fun fact for you, Kyle: the Washington Nationals are the only team in MLB history, and this still holds true today. And granted, the franchise is not that old that has not had a manager for more than three years, which to me is remarkable. And so think about that. If if last season would have been what we're looking at now, almost best-case scenario, I would say best-case scenario, probably a 100-game season, and that's best-case. Um, you know, we're looking at a scenario where last year's World Series champion might not have made the playoffs or struggled to get in. So that's – it's crazy to think about. And, and just putting this – trying to – put away just like the lack of the lack of hope and just how sad things are right now and just kind of thinking at this from a practical baseball perspective and another selfish thing of me you know who this this scenario if it helps anyone you know who it helps out the most is those damn Yankees because they're struggling they were already struggling with health this gives Paxton Paxton and Judge you know time to be healthy and be good to go when the season starts um and again, you never want to root for injuries, and you always, you know, baseball's better when the best players are playing, but, you know, the Yankees have caused me serious emotional harm for the past 20 years, and this is just another thing that's like, oh, weird, this is almost kind of working out for them. So, but, I mean, at this point, I I don't care if the Yankees go 100-0 and and win the World Series. I just want some baseball. You know, I was listening to a sports radio show out of Chicago. I listen to a lot of Chicago sports, and one of the guys on there is a host by the name of Matt Spiegel, and he hosts a weekend show called Hit and Run. He's one of the better baseball talkers that they have on that station, and he had proposed the idea. He's like, first you do spring training to electric boogaloo, which I thought was a, uh, a fun way to make light of it, and then do 81 games. And I would rather personally have a shorter regular season and play the playoffs as normal than have a longer regular season and play the playoffs at neutral sites. Like the fact that they're considering having a potential World Series between the Yankees and the Dodgers at Marlins Park, I mean, I'm sorry. I understand that, you know, Miami would be a perfect place to hold it, number one, because the Marlins aren't going to be in the World Series, and number two, the weather is going to be fine. I just don't see a practical scenario in which you can make the justification to have a World Series in a neutral site. Like, that's not how this works. And if you want to maximize the regular season, do it in an 81-game season. Have the playoffs as normal. Because I don't think that extending the season any further past the end of October is really going to do you anything. And and assuming that everything subsides by the time that you know NBA season 2020 starts, basketball is going to have the ear of everybody's lexicon and not baseball. I fully agree. I don't want to see. I I think a shortened postseason, neutral site postseason, would be terrible. Um, again, they're they're probably going to do the. I, I think the reasoning behind that is they're hoping to make as much money for all the franchises as possible and not just the, the, the postseason franchises. But also, if you're picking, I get why Miami and just location makes sense, uh, just weather purposes and stuff, but it would probably be only second to only 
the Rays in the least, like the the worst stadium to watch a World Series in. I I detest Marlins Park. I think it is an eyesore, um, and it's a it's a drain on taxpayers. Just like what it stands for, it just reminds me of Jeffrey Laurie every time I look at it. It's it's probably a, again aside from the Trop, it's probably my least favorite stadium to watch baseball games on. And this is, you know, coming from a guy that rooted for teams in the Hubert H. Humphrey Metrodome. Don't you, I mean, don't you dare rip- stain the Metrodome. A perfect environment to watch baseball in, as everyone knows. I had some horror memories as a White Sox fan from inside the Metrodome in the mid-2000s. I'll, I'll say that for sure. We're here with Kyle Bandujo, host of Phenom to the Farm and Big Screen Sports, one of the foremost baseball experts that we have in this podcast. Granted, we've only had about, like, five guests, but Kyle was the first, and he's our first returning guest, so we appreciate him taking time out of his day. I mean, I I got nothing but time in my day. You know, I want to ask you first about how the sports industry shutting down has affected the workplace because it's affected me. I currently am without a job because where I work, since there are no more college sports, there's no TV to be made, and there's no reason to pay me. So... I am uh, in my last week of getting paid right now at my current job, and then I'm going to have to figure out what I do for money. But, I mean, this has greater ramifications besides just players on the field. Yeah, I mean, and um, th- there's been a lot of good writing. I think the the athletic, um, I, I mean, shout out to uh, Emily Walden, who's who's been putting a lot of spotlight on um, oh, she's the best. Yeah, she is great. the absolute best. She's great. But it, it's um, how it's affected minor league players, for one, how it's affected stadium staff, broadcasters like you. Um, it, it's it's widespread. And you've seen a lot of um, a lot of positive things from clubs saying they're going to pay minor leaguers, pay stadium staffers. Um, Mark Cuban is doing a lot for, for Mavs staff. But you know, it, it's just, it's like one thing after another, you you know, there's only so much money to go around. There's a, there's a lot of people that are, that are going to suffer from this. The actual not getting to watch sports is a very small part of this. And it's a very, you know, like the, uh, the owners will be fine. The, at the, the high level regulars will be fine. The guys with multi, you know, multi-million dollar contracts. And a lot of those guys, you see, you know, Kevin Love, um, Zion, a, a lot of guys, the, um, uh, Sean Doolittle and uh, his, his wonderful wife, whose name I'm, I'm just going to, I, Irene, Irene Dolan, yeah, Irene Dolan the, the, um, just doing so much for so many people. Um, but it, yeah, it's, it's just, um, yeah, there's really nothing to say other than it's just devastating. And it's something that, you know, um, I don't, uh, I don't give again not to get too political. I, I don't give a lot of credence to what I hear in those briefings. But one thing that was that was said in a briefing about the virus was, uh, at, you know, after this, the economy, the you know, the the person in charge of the country said he thinks the economy is going to boom after this. And one thing that I actually hope comes of this is um the the appreciation that we'll have for sports and everyone working at those sports and I'm you know I'm hoping that 
when things do finally get going, that there's a boom in minor league attendance and major league attendance and people are going to more games and taking advantage of this because it was something that was taken away. And we really, you know, I always assumed that I could go to a San Antonio missions game, you know, whenever, because they're going to be around, they're going to play, you know, 70 some games in San Antonio this year. I can, you know, I can check out one whenever. And now I don't, I want to be at the first one, you know, I want to be at the entire first series they have open. So I, I think that might be the one one positive to come out of this is, you know, a renewed interest and a renewed appreciation for what we have in sports. I want to talk to you about the minor league side of things because there's a couple of questions I have for you on this, and I propose these to other people. Major League Baseball comes out and says that they are going to give assistance to 40-man guys and non-roster invitees, which Great. For a lot of non-roster guys, they may still, you know, need that help. But how about the non-roster non-40-man minor leaguers? They're not getting paid. I know I read somewhere I think it's the Rays and one other organization are still paying their minor leaguers as if the season is going on. Um I am honestly appalled that there is a industry that is as big enough as Major League Baseball that cannot afford to keep paying their minor league players even though they're not playing. And these are guys that don't get paid before they come to spring training anyway. I mean, how does Major League Baseball save face, in your opinion, and solve this problem? Because you've talked to enough minor leaguers. I certainly have been in clubhouses with enough minor leaguers. These are guys that need this money. And, you know, if you're from an area like a San Francisco or a Los Angeles or – soon to be New York, I feel like, you know, you might not have a chance to go find a job because nobody's going to be hiring while everybody's stuck inside. Like, I'm in San Francisco right now. We are in a shelter-in-place order until April 7th, and that might be longer. So, And minor league minor league guys cannot file for an unemployment because they're, they're, still, un, they're still employed. Um, and, and these are minor leaguers. A majority of minor league baseball players are guys who – when even in normal circumstances, if this is not happening, are still a lot of these guys, guys without the the common majority who didn't have big signing bonuses or anything, are living right around the poverty line in general. Um, there, you know, before this happened, there was a there was an uproar for minor league baseball players needing to be paid more. Again, shout out to Emily Walden who's doing, and, and a lot of people like her who are trying to help minor league baseball players through this, but. I have a, a a friend that I I played high school ball with who just finished out a season in AAA was was a senior signed didn't sign for much and he he said to me personally that he doesn't have a pot to piss in and this was before before this uh you know this thing so these guys are not they're they're living a dream at the poverty line and these guys are not set up to be able to weather this storm and I I think it's only right if Major League Baseball pays these guys you know per normal. And, you know, maybe that hurts financially a little bit, but it's the right thing to do. My big problem is why was this not even a consideration from the get-go? Like, why do they come out with this provision and say, oh, well, we're not going to help the minor leaguers? Like, are they that tone deaf to understand that the people they're helping don't need it as much as the people they aren't? Like, this is such an ass-backward thing way of doing things. Like, I feel like this is Rob Manfred's Baseball World 101. Like, this right here. There's been a lot of poor PR 
for Major League Baseball in the last few months, and a lot of that stems with the Astros scandal. But this, this, they have not handled these last couple weeks well between not paying these minor leaguers and Jen, then being slow on on the take to, uh, to to cancel these games, uh, to to can you know to try to get a spring training game in that means nothing after the NBA had suspended their regular season in a right in you know right next to the right close to the playoffs. Um, it, it's been a it. I mean that's all you can say. It's just been it's just been one disappointment after another, starting with the sign stealing scandal and and leading up to now. And it's something that I think um, I think social media pressure and just industry pressure. I would I would expect that most of these teams will continue to pay will will eventually get on board and continue to play minor leaguers. It is last I saw it was like six or seven teams, um, and it's slowly becoming more and more. I don't see any team deciding to be a holdout you know i i would think that if you see that 25 other clubs are paying their minor leaguers you don't want to be on the the wrong side of that bad pr in this situation that you didn't pay your minor leaguers we're here with kyle banduho host of from phenom to the farm and big screen sports from phenom to the farm from baseball america and big screen sports from blue wire Kyle, I had just been think I had just thought about this with Sam Levitt of the Amarillo Sod Poodles. By the way, before I ask this question, did you get a chance to get up to Amarillo for a game last year? No, Amarillo is like a ten hour hike for me. Texas is a big state. I would love to check out that new stadium uh, if I was still back in college in West Texas. It wouldn't be quite as bad of a drive, but um, Amarillo honestly makes as much sense for me to fly there as it does to drive from uh, San Antonio. Fair enough, fair enough. I know that uh, San Antonio now a triple-A city, but one of the reasons why I was I was talking about this with Sam Levitt, the voice of the Sod Poodles, a longtime uh, colleague of mine. We went to college together, and I asked him this question, and sadly you can't go back and listen to it because that recording decided to, to hate me and hate everybody like uh, everything has recently. <laughs> so I asked him, with everything surrounding the contraction of minor league baseball and the 42 teams that are on MLB's quote-unquote hit list, does it make sense that if there's not going to be a full minor league season and nowhere close to a full major league season, that MLB decides to put a stay order in, and I'm not sure this is technically the right legal language, but a stay order in on the current CBA and have it extended for a year until the end of the 2021 season so as to help out these businesses that might be taken away after 2020 just survive one more year and somebody actually put the question to me and I worked in the Pioneer League which is one of the short season leagues where every team was slated to be eliminated somebody put it to me they said you know you may have called the last pitch in minor league in uh, Pioneer League history and when I went and I thought about it and I'm not going I was not scheduled to go back there this year. When I thought about it, I said, as sad as it is to sound or to say, that might be right. What are your thoughts on potentially extending the current CBA one more year as opposed to automatically renegotiating after this year, considering that you don't necessarily know what this season's going to be? 
Yeah, I've thought about that, especially like this is it's possibly the worst the worst possible time for this to happen for these minor league franchises that are possibly being contracted, these leagues. Um, I don't you know, I don't again, I'm I'm you know, I'm not a labor pro or lawyer or anything. I don't know how you could possibly negotiate in such a, an atmosphere of uncertainty. Um, I don't you know, and, and especially after a shortened year where service time and figures and and things just will not match up to a normal season. I don't know how you can negotiate for the future with such an uncertainty about the future and what that looks like. I think it would only make sense for that, you know, for that CBA to be extended for one year. I don't, I don't see a scenario where, you know, they, they can come up, they can, they can be on level footing and, and understand what they're really looking at. So I, I'd like to see that extended a year. I would like to see these franchises get a chance at a last hurrah. Um, because depending on when we come back, they might, you know, you might be looking at a 40 game pioneer league year. Um, I know there was talk JJ Cooper from baseball America, um, put on Twitter the other day that they're thinking about just nixing minor league playoffs and just extending the regular seasons into September. So there's just more games for everyone, um, which which I think, uh, honestly, I think is the right call. Minor league playoff, I mean, for those players, I'm sure it's fun, but minor league playoffs are less important to the parent clubs than it is just getting their players those games. And to those minor league franchises, especially the ones talking about being contracted and and trying to, to net a profit, those each game, you you know, you get depending on if you're your short season or full season you get 50 to 70 games a year chances a year to try to make a profit and those are you know already going to be significantly cut into so I, I I hope they do I mean again I hope we get going and I, I also hope that they extend the minor league year into September Kyle here's a question that I think is well worth posing. Would you think that a lot of these minor leagues end up not even going to their respective cities and end up playing a lot of, like, let's say, like, high A and below in the complexes? Like, I think that that is entirely possible given the scenarios of trying to get a second spring training and, you know, minimizing travel and safety. And I I just, I feel like that's a possibility. I feel like you could see that with the short season leagues, especially like the New York Penn League, um, just depending on how those areas are recovering from this. But you could see, because there's already the complex leagues. You got the AZL, the GCL. Um, I mean, you can move those just straight up onto the backfields and bring the the Pioneer League, the Appy League, the New York Penn League into the complex and just have, I mean, you could have games going on from sunup to sundown. I don't think that's out of the question to say that, um, you know, to, that uh, a day at the, you know, at the Bradenton Marauders Park in, in Bradenton, Florida, uh, you know, looks like games starting at 8 and ending at 10 o'clock at night. The one problem I now see is that a lot of the parent club alignments for the teams in some of these leagues, like, it won't work. Like, the Pioneer League, it works because every parent club's uh, facility is in Arizona. The New York Penn League, you've got the A's who are in Arizona, and you've got the Yankees, Mets, Red Sox, Astros, and I 
honestly, Tigers and yeah, it's a more of a, it's a mixed forgetting? bag. Yeah, it's mostly Florida with a couple of Arizona, so that's not necessarily going to work. Uh, I mean, I hope that for the cities that they decide not to do that, but in a scenario like this and time like this, like you have to almost think of every single little scenario that might be possible because how do you mitigate something that is snowballing into what at worst case scenario could be no season at all and nobody wants that? There's going to be a ton of on-the-fly adjustments, I think. Like, I'm not even sure at this point we can predict what minor league scheduling and season and and the season will look like. Um, there's there's I think there's going to be a lot of compromise. There's going to be a lot of you know on the fly preparations, and that's tough. And you know this you know better than I. That's tough for for management who are um, you know having to schedule travel and hotels and everything for for staff and players and you know trying to set up host families and stuff it's gonna be a i mean everyone's gonna be flying by to the seat of their pants and that's if they can get the go-ahead to actually get players back in camp and get them ramped up because even if you know when we get to the point of hey it's probably safe to play baseball okay you got to get out you have to get you know you have to get pitchers ramped up again. Guys aren't going to want to be hurt. I will say that there's one silver lining to all of this for a minor league season, and that is if we get, you know, say say June 1st, we start ball. It could be the best talent year ever for short season low minors clubs because all of the spring draft picks, especially pitchers, are rarely sent out. I think Nick Lodolo, we we talked about him last, you know, last time on through about 10 innings, uh, you know, after you sign Casey Mize around the same, these kids haven't pitched all spring. So these clubs are going to want to sign their top prospects and they can get them out for 60 to 80 innings in minor league baseball. So that if there is a silver lining, that's the one thing in that you know the these clubs these these short season low a organizations could be getting these these top prospects fresh off the draft quicker than than they are and for more extended time than they ever have before so it'll be kind of interesting to see if that what that looks like this summer and if that speeds up timetables if say an asa lacy is drafted in the top three picks and he's not shut down into for for most of the year like he would have normally been until next summer. You know, say he he gets all the way up to high A, there, he's throwing significant innings in high A by the end of this year. He starts out next season double A. Maybe he's up in the show by next September. Um, you don't know, you know that. So that could be a long term silver lining and benefit of hey maybe. You know these pitchers like Asa Lacy and Emerson Hancock in this loaded draft class are up and in the show a lot earlier. But again, that's that's so far ahead of what we're looking at right now. It's just like trying to grasp at straws to find something that we like. Good segue, by the way, Kyle. You kind of read my mind on my next question. What the hell happens to the draft? Because you basically have 20 games of a college season to work off of. You know, MLB has barred scouts from doing any scouting at this point. Most college baseball seasons are pretty much set and gone. So guys can elect to take another year if they want. But 
how do you accurately scout guys that have missed two months of a potential minor league season? How do you evaluate where guys are going to be at when they get drafted? I mean, I would assume that, like, let's say, you know, Team A, and I can't remember off the top of my head who has the first overall pick in this year's draft. Is it the Tigers? I believe it's the Tigers. Sounds about right. I mean, they would basically want to pick a Spencer Torkelson because everybody knows what that guy is. Everybody knows what he can do, and I don't think there's anything that says that he shouldn't be that number one overall pick. But for a lot of other guys, I just don't know how you evaluate the second through the fifth round guys or the fifth through the tenth round guys or whether – you know, certain guys are like, hey, I'm technically eligible to be drafted, but if I have another year of eligibility, like, you could see at this point, Kyle, if guys get another year of eligibility, you've just opened up a, a box of snakes, and I know that's not really a term, uh, <laughs> but uh, you just open up a box of snakes where you could potentially have guys be eligible to be drafted in each of their last three years. Like, let's say a junior this year who would elect to take two more years of eligibility, he could be drafted this year, next year, and the year following. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's going to be a lot of – I mean, you know, they're kind of stuck with scouting. They've got the reports they've got. There's going to be a lot of conversations with clubs and advisors on signability. I I think that is probably going to be as big a thing, as big a – a factor as anything before the June draft. Cause I think right now the, the plan is to leave the draft as is. Um, and it's just, is, is just to, to gauge signability who is leaning towards taking that extra year of eligibility versus, you know, who's, who's ready to go. Cause again, you know, there is the, Hey, I've got more leverage. I, I do have, if I'm a junior this year, I have this extra year without being considered a senior sign, but do I, would I really rather sign at 22, 23 years old? Um, how's that going to, cause there is still, you know, clubs still do prefer youth as opposed to, you know, o- older players. So there, there is that. Um, but I think that's going to be the big story of rounds three to 10 is who's actually signable. Uh, you know, it's, it's going to be a lot of negotiation in that regard. Your top guys are still going to go your Torkelson, Austin Martin, Asa Lacey, Emerson Hancock, they're still going to sign. They're still going to get what they would have gotten, you know, as long. And for, you know, guys like Lacey and, and Hancock and, and Cole Wilcox and, um, you know, they they get the benefit of, hey, they, they looked good enough. They solidified their draft stock enough. And as far as these scouts know, they're healthy. Um, it's, you know, there's a guy – the big a big question mark is a guy like JT Ginn from Mississippi State is a draft eligible sophomore just had TJ um you know would still be eligible he he probably would have already been eligible for a med red but you know st- would still have two more chances at the draft with leverage you know does a guy like that say hey I'd rather just rehab see if I can come back at the end of next year throw gas or do I do I just sign, do my rehab as a professional, take my money now? So it's going to be a lot of signability conversation from now to then. The interesting thing is in the top 10 rounds, you have a certain amount of money that you can allot, and that's why you always see those 11th round picks that make you know seven figures in a signing bonus because a team didn't use up all of their slot money in the first 10 rounds. So, I mean, you could end up 
having a couple scenarios where seniors decide to take an extra year of eligibility because they feel like they can up their status. Actually, forget what I just said. Seniors might come out now because they're effectively juniors, and they actually have a little bit of leverage as to before where they didn't. Not to mention if they go back, say you've already planned it out, you've already graduated, you know, are you so are you going to take grad school for a year? And a lot of these these college baseball players are not on full rides. Are you gonna take a you know, another year of debt? Are you gonna get another year older to go into the draft? And and potentially you're taking that year of debt. If you're already a graduated college senior, you're taking you're taking on that that grad school potentially out of, just to play baseball. Um and, and that's you know that could be another thirty thousand dollars out of your pocket. You, if you're a, if you're already a guy who's probably just a senior sign, you know you, you're probably not making that money up with your bonus. So, you know, for a lot of those guys, it might. And a lot of those guys who are legitimate seniors, who are probably going to be five thousand to thirty thousand dollars senior signs, it's still probably the best way to go as opposed to hitting the draft again with a little more college debt at age twenty three. You know what's kind of fascinating for me is that looking at the performances of guys I had on my team last year and looking at the signing bonuses of a third-rounder comparison to a ninth-round senior sign, and for the sake of these guys, I'm not going to say their names, but it's just like you know, the most productive player that we had in our team was a ninth-round senior sign that I think signed for under $10,000. I mean, it's remarkable. And then you see a couple other figures, and you're like, whoa, and the sad part of it is is that you get punished financially for staying in school, which just doesn't seem right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a, yeah, the seniors are never, even in this situation where they've been given a little bit more leverage with the extra year of eligibility, the seniors are never going to have um, you know, as much leverage as the juniors. But again, the junior signing, are normally better in majority of cases you will see you know senior signs who end up big leaguers uh matt carpenter uh you know stands out but a lot of a lot of the time the the junior signing are are better prospects and it's just the the seniors pay the price with their signing bonuses which is really unfortunate if um you know if minor leaguers were paid better if seniors were getting a five thousand dollar bonus but also a living wage It'd be one thing, but they're they're signing for peanuts to keep a dream going, and they're they're paid even less. So it's uh, it's a you know in the future it's something I think you know I'd really love to see baseball change is paying these guys a little bit better, looking out for seniors to where it's still a legitimate job for them, and they're not sleeping on an air mattress to chase a dream and having to ask family for money. We're here with Kyle Banduho of From Phenom to the Farm and Big Screen Sports. Two more questions for you, Kyle. And I actually just thought about this when you were talking about the finances and guys, you know, trying to live out a dream. Would you think that they might potentially reduce the amount of rounds in the draft this year? And here's why I say this. A lot of times organizations have a policy that we're going to bring every minor leaguer to spring training and then release them once we've seen them for a couple of weeks or so. Like, we know that a lot of guys get released during spring training. How do you justify releasing certain guys when they've not had a chance to have a full spring training? And if you're not getting, if you're keeping the draft where it is, 
and you may not necessarily get the minor league season started until after the draft, how do you justify potentially releasing X amount of guys before they've even had a chance to play? Like, I know that they that they have the right to do that, and a lot of guys end up do getting released in the offseason, but I just don't see how you can justify telling a guy, hey, I know we haven't had a chance to see you play yet this year, but uh, you're released. I think that's a good point. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me um, if, if they do reduce the draft. The thing with the draft is a lot of times – you know, the, the draft is already very long. There's already a certain amount of picks that just definitely will not sign your late round high school flyers, um, things like that. So there, there might be more of that where they take more late round flyers on a kid and, and maybe, you know, he decides last second to sign, but it's just another, it's this whole thing is just a domino. There, there's so many dominoes falling of, well, what about this? Well, if you do this, what about this? We haven't even, you know, everything with with how the college game is going to be impacted it's just right now it is such a big bag of unknown and it pro it and unfortunately the only thing we can do right now is spitball on it it seems like at least for the next couple weeks one more question for kyle banduho he is the host of big screen sports which is the best sports movies podcast out there Kyle, I saw, and I haven't had a chance to listen yet, and I'm going to go back and listen as soon as I'm able. I saw that you had put out on Twitter who was the better Wesley Snipes in the Major League Series. Was it, or rather, who was the better Willie Mays Hayes in the Major League Series, Wesley Snipes or Omar Epps? And I'm curious to see as to how that conversation devolved because I personally thought, as I replied on that tweet, that Hayes, better speed, better defensive outfielder, Epps had more power, and... Snipes was a much better clubhouse guy. I mean, how did that, uh, just to give us a quick snippet, like how did that whole conversation uh, play out, and, and what was your opinion on the matter? Well, my good buddy Darren Vaught, who has a uh, he has a podcast for USA Baseball called Covering the Bases, which just dropped an episode today, an interview with the Mariners, Kyle Lewis. Highly encourage everyone to check that out. Um, Darren covered Major League with me last year and dropped that he thought that Omar Epps did a better job than Wesley Snipes, and I was I was taken aback. Um, because I, I love Snipes in the original Major League, and so brought him back on to kind of debate that take, and we, you know, we we kind of discussed that the Major League Two Willie Mays Hayes does the character itself has a little bit more to do um, in Major League. He's more some quiet comic relief. You get the the spring training scene where he. Uh, you know, he, he runs the, the race in his pajamas and, you know, man, I've been cut already. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You that's, but that's really the highlight of, of Willie Mays Hayes for most of that until like almost the, until the Amex commercial and, and the steel in the last game. So, uh, you know, the Omar F snipes has a little bit more to do. I just think, uh, all credit to Omar Epps, but I, I just think Wesley snipes has a better, is a better comedic actor. I enjoy his work a little bit more. So I, I always lean for the Snipes Major League as well as I just think the original Major League is such a superior movie to Major League Two. I like both movies personally. I think that Major League Two actually had better Harry Doyle lines just because Harry Doyle kind of devolved into this degenerate alcoholic a lot quicker than the Harry Doyle in the first Major League. Like, we know the classic lines, but there's just kind of a few more off-the-wall lines in, in Major League, too, like the uh, like Serrano going out and chasing the pigeon. 
And Monty's like, well, at least the bird survived. And, and Euchre's like, who cares? It's a rat with wings. He's the the he's great, and also the thing about Major League Two is you lose less when it's on a cable rewatch because the movie I believe is rated PG. The original Major League is definitely an R. Uh, it's a it's a it's a very much earned R. So when Major League Two is on MLB Network, uh, you there's not as much cut out. So that that's that's a bonus for it. I, I enjoy it enough, but Major League is a is a, it's a Hall of Famer. It's an all timer for me. The only thing about Major League Two that I did not like was the Randy Quaid character. I just, I could not stand that guy. That was awful. Awful. Definitely not Cousin Eddie. So, yeah, that's uh, that's where we're at, Kyle. I, uh, I sincerely appreciate your time. Uh, everybody, make sure you go listen to Phenom to the Farm, Big Screen Sports. Check him out on Twitter, at Kyle Banduho. Check out Big Screen Sports on Twitter, at Big Screen Sports. And I'm sure we're going to talk to you again at some point in the near future, and hopefully we have better news to report. Yep, let's uh, we'll we'll circle back on this soon, and uh, hopefully we're we're actually talking about the baseball that's being played instead of the baseball we hope is being played. That is Kyle Banduho, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of MLB Morning Coffee. Have a great rest of your day. Stay safe, and we'll talk to you soon.